You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Excited to hear what God's doing through the fielders and their ministry. And uh, nothing better is thinking of the gentleman who passed away while being a part of Bible translation work. I mean, there's nothing that will live on more than to be a part of that. And uh, just excited to see that translation project come to fruition. Galatians chapter 4 tonight, let's pick up in verse 12. We're going to read down through verse 20 as we're looking at this series, Plus Nothing, a study on gospel grace in the book of Galatians. And want to pick up where we left off last time in the middle of this chapter. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 12. Paul says, Brethren, I beseech you, uh, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how that through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus where is then, he asked, the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you. He's referencing the false teachers, those trying to lead them back or for the first time into legalism, affect you, but not well. Yea, uh, they would exclude you that you might affect them. Verse 18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. I'll look at tonight this aspect of God's grace. God's grace is meant to be felt. It's supposed to affect us not just academically or mentally, but also on a heart level. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, thank you for this report. We just heard what you're doing through the fielders and worldview ministries. Pray you would strengthen their family and their um, associates and partners around the world, protect them, as even was alluded to. Uh, this one that was called in for questioning, thank you for looking out for him. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we do have in our heart language. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for how often we take for granted the umpteen, co umpteen copies of it that we have in our homes and vehicles, and let alone the digital access that we have to your word. Forgive us, Lord, for being um, so blessed and yet often not faithfully taking full advantage of that access we have to your word, to your mind, to your heart. Pray, Fathers, now we consider what it says about your grace and the areas of, of our emotions and our heart that you would stir us, you would challenge us, you would encourage us. Bless this study tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'm fascinated by startup type stories. I think I've shared that before, entrepreneur kind of things, the genesis of a company or some product. And I was listening to an interview with a man who is trying to start a new um, vehicle company where he's making vehicles outside of the big three or some of the foreign automakers. And he was talking about that the average car, like when you think of a new car, there's a smell, right, that comes with new car. I'm, I'm of the economic bracket that I buy the car deodorizer that makes your car smell new. Okay, I've never owned a brand new car, so that's me. Um, but uh, they also have a feel to them, you know, and then as cars age, they also get a feel to them. 
But this man was talking about, he's trying to, I forget the name of his uh, truck company that he's trying to start. A lot of it is E, uh, electronic vehicles. But he said this, the average vehicle has 25,000 individual parts. 25,000 individual parts that all together give you the feel uh, of driving down the road and being transported by this new vehicle. Can I just say to us tonight, as it relates to the grace of God, the grace of God is more than just the technical parts of it. It also has a collective feel to it that the moment we leave the grace of God or we digress into legalism as we're confronting here through the book of Galatians, we lose what the grace of God is to generate in us on an emotional level. One of the things I love about Paul is his fully orbed argument. He doesn't just deal with grace and legalism from one angle. He's looking at it in a comprehensive sense. And so tonight, instead of appealing to their thinking, and to their minds, he appeals to their hearts um, and his relationship with them in some areas where that has been strained as a result of this false teaching and doctrine. And so the question tonight is in a day of academic and analytical religiosity, man, we are replete with that. Um, degrees, and, and I'm not against seminary degrees and advanced training and learning, but we have taken what is a relationship with God. It's personal, and it's become so academic, it's become so intellectualized that we've lost this heart feel. How do we, in a day such as that, how do we maintain an emotionally robust appreciation for an adherence to the grace of God? And so let's talk about tonight. Those who live by grace alone identify with two personal feelings of grace that are provided to us by God himself. Number one, first of all, let's talk for a few minutes, as Paul wisely does here, begins by talking about what we feel as a result of our past history with God. Um, our past history with God. Relationships, the relationships represented in this room um, and how you feel about them is largely shaped by the shared history you have together, right? That could be both positive, that could be negative, that could just be kind of a, a, a neutral feel. But every feeling that we have about those that we have relationship with is shaped largely by the past. And uh, our boys and us were talking about, my sons who are in high school, um, any of you remember back when McDonald's served pizza? I have a point to this illustration, okay? Any of you remember that? Did they do that in Ohio? Um, where you're from. I think I was in, yeah, I was in Mansfield, and I think it was Wednesday nights. It was all-you-could-eat pizza, and they had like a little pedestal they'd put it on, um, and it, the, the crust had, I'm, I'm going to lose you now, sorry. I don't know if McDonald's pizza appeals to you or not. It was actually pretty decent, but it was all-you-could-eat. As a teenager, that was like, who cares what it is? It's all-you-can-eat, okay? Um, and so you would just mow through it, but it had like little balls on the bottom of it, like that kind of helped it not stick to the pan. It just had a unique it was a unique thing. Um, the other thing I remember about McDonald's, and I don't know if this picture evokes this in your mouth. Does this bring back memories? Does it make you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth because you still have singe marks there from... I mean, these were literally the temperature of the planet Mercury, okay? It was just... And, and, and so just talking through some of these things in the past. And when I see that, I have a history with that, okay? And my mouth still remembers that history. Um, can I say to you as it relates to God, the history we have with him is not negative. Can any of us in the room truly resent God and chafe under God because of our past with him? He has issues with us he could bring up right this evening, but God has always been faithful. 
And so what Paul does is he reminds these Galatians, why would you walk away from God? Why would you walk away from his grace and those of us who are aligned with it when there is such a rich, sweet, significant history that you have with God himself? And so apparently here the Galatians had forgotten their gratitude toward Paul. They'd forgotten their gratitude toward the God that had sent him. And so Paul here graciously appeals to their memories, appeals to what they should remember on their own about their past relationship, not only with him, but with the God of all grace. So let's talk about tonight quickly a few memories that we need to maybe refeel and renew in our hearts that help protect us from wandering from the grace of God. Number one, jot this down, remember the historical origins, origins of grace the historical origins of grace. And notice how Paul begins here in verse number 12. What does he call them in verse 12? He calls them what? Brethren. The grammatical structure here is direct address. He's talking to them, and he calls them not, you bunch of slouches, you bunch of compromisers. He calls them brethren. He appeals to their redemptive status and standing uh, in the grace of God. And so he's reminding them of where they originated and what they have originally with God himself. Now, let's, pi- let's pick up in verse 12, and just a couple things as it relates to this in the area of the origins of the grace that we now faithfully should be stewarding. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am. We'll unpack this in just a moment. For I am as ye are, ye have not injured me at all. Number one, jot this down. Not only is God's grace given to us to cause us to feel things in a general sense, but number one, he reminds them of the original flexibility. The word there is flexibility of the grace of God. Paul here challenges the Galatians, become like me. What is he saying? Become free of the law like I am. And then he reminds them that that I used to be under the law and I became like the Gentiles. I, I became like you. The irony is the opposite is happening for the Galatians. They've been free and now they're going back to it. Paul says that's the wrong direction. We left that behind. I left that behind. You should leave that behind. Don't know, go back to that. Uh, it is something we are free from. And it's interesting how he says it. I don't know if it kind of jars you when you read it, but Paul says at the end of verse 12, you have not injured me at all. What's, what's he mean by that? What's the reference there at the end of verse 12? Uh, we don't know for sure, but perhaps he is saying here that their turning away from him to false teachers really wasn't as much a blow uh, to him as it was a blow to the truth of God and therefore an injury to their relationship with God and an injury to themselves. When we leave the grace of God, the person we most hurt is ourselves and our relationship with God. You you can become the hyper-legalist that your flesh craves to be. We tend to pendulum swing, don't we? We either are very licensed with our flesh or we're very legalistic with our flesh. And we tend to just swing back and forth. And the more that we do that, the more we hurt ourselves. And we hurt not only ourselves, but those we lead and influence in the relationship that we have uh, with the Lord. And so Paul reminds them, you're just imposing this infliction, uh, this injury upon yourself. All right, now let's get to the word or the concept of flexibility. Go to verse 13. You know... Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at first. Um, and so here in verse 13, Paul talks about that he had some sort of malady. We don't know exactly what he's referencing here in verse 13, but basically from what we can put together of his missionary journeys and his sequence of ministry, Paul did not intend to stay in Galatia as long as he did. 
But something came upon him. Something began to vex him and cause him physically to suffer to where he was unable to travel. And so through that struggle physically, it allowed Paul to plant not just a church, but churches in the region of Galatia. All because of this physical challenge that Paul had suffered during his visit uh, in this region. Um, Some think that possibly Paul had an attack of malaria or epilepsy. Um, and then it could have been even something with his eye disease. He's going to get to that more in just a moment. But something hindered Paul from leaving. He had to stay. So why not start a church and then start another church? And one of the things I love about Paul was his ability to adjust to whatever was going on in his life and stay on message and stay in the ministry. He was flexible with the grace of God. He stayed on, t- on point and on message, but he was willing to adjust in what God allowed in his life. All right, let me bring this to to our life today in this area of flexibility. Because a grace-fueled believer will always be flexible. A legalist is rigid where even God himself is not rigid. Unwilling to adjust and to be able to flex uh, and to to be where they should be despite the circumstances uh, in their life. And here would just be a summary of that according to one author. A ministry that is energized by the gospel is both flexible and adaptable with everything apart from the gospel. Can I read that again? A ministry that is energized by the gospel is flexible and adaptable with everything apart from the gospel. Is that true of you tonight? Is that true of me tonight? Or have I dug in my heels on things that are not a part of the gospel? The gospel tonight is not tied to a specific culture or custom. Its leaders can come and truly live among the people they are seeking to reach and adopt their ways and love them. And we see Paul doing that as he ministers to these believers in Galatia. Um, One of the marks of a legalistic, works-righteous mindset is that it is inflexible and obsessed with details. Such a person wants converts to dress and act just like us, quote-unquote. Paul, on the other hand, is a model of someone who truly comes close and enters in the lives of people he's seeking to reach, just as Christ did in his incarnation. Paul not only got to know them personally, he lived with them, ate with them, played with them, talked and walked with them. He references that briefly here. He got to know their world and lived in it in an appreciative manner. He entered in as far as he could to their questions and problems, their hopes and fears and sensitivities, adapted his life and speech and message Uh, to be with them without, of course, changing the gospel itself. And I want to just give you one example of that. Go back to 1 Corinthians, would you, for a moment? Because we don't have all of that here in the text in Galatians, but in Corinth, Paul modeled this mindset. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, would you, for a moment? And I just want you to check or to evaluate your view of grace if the standard by which we're evaluating it is, am I as flexible as Paul was? Am I as flexible as Christ was? Or am I inflexible? Am I refusing to adjust to circumstances or cultures that God places me and His grace in? All right, chapter 9. So this would be a different city, a different region, but the same man, the same ministry, the same grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's look, if you will, at verse number 19. Paul says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. So I would temper even what I just said with this concept. Paul talked about it earlier in our study. Grace doesn't give us license to do what we want. It frees us to serve others, right? That's the flexibility. We're not flexibility to like do my own thing. 
but flexibility to, to reach all people with the gospel and to be a servant of all. Notice how he does this. And under the Jews I became as a Jew, so he's willing to work with that culture and some of those dietary and uh, feast and festivals and observances that I might gain the Jews to them that are under laws under law that I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21. That probably was a bit easier, verse 20, than now verse 21. To them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are under the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. Notice this, for I made all things, <laughs> excuse me, all things to all men, that I might all mean, all, by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. We see flexibility on Paul's part because his ministry was fueled by the grace of God. And so without a flexibility in the beginning of our relationship with God and in the hearts of those who reach us with the gospel, listen, we would have never received the grace of God. Somebody stretched, somebody stooped, somebody reached unto us with the gospel. And so we must do the same and we must maintain this flexibility to be faithful ministers and witnesses for God. And so may we not become less flexible as the years go by as we steward God's grace. May we be as flexible as God's grace is, maintaining that through our earthly ministry. All right, number two, go back to our text there in Galatians 4. And notice now verse 14, and we see a second original characteristic of grace that Paul reminds these believers of. So in verse 12 and 13, he talks about the flexibility of God's grace, willing to to be free of the law and to be all things to all men. Notice now verse 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despise not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. All right, number two, original reception. So not only does Paul remind them of how flexible God's grace had been in those early moments when they first heard of Jesus and the saving grace that God offered, but also he reminds them of how open and receptive they were. Things that now they become closed-minded to. In the beginning, they were receptive of this man who was not strong, this man who was not sophisticated, this man who was weak. They were able to let God give to them the gospel through this very limited vessel. Um, his sickness here could have easily tempted them to think lightly of him or to reject him, kind of with the prosperity mindset, gospel mindset. How can he be preaching the gospel and the power of God? He, he's physically, he's not even up to par, if you will, in his own strength. And yet Paul commends them and reminds them, you receive me even as an angel or even as Christ himself with respect and, and reception. You, you received what God gave to you through my life and lips. And so this initial willingness of both Paul to initiate and the Galatians to listen were in less than ideal circumstances, and through it, they received the grace of God. See, gospel ministry always looks for opportunities in hardship and in less than ideal circumstances. Problems become possibilities. Is that our mindset uh, as we steward the grace of God? Um, I don't know if you ever heard this expression, don't forget your roots. It's something we often use. Uh, I hear it in Wayne County often. Don't forget your roots. And Paul here basically is saying to them, listen, before we talk further, you need to view the grace of God through your roots, where you came from and what God has done. And he reminds them of these historical origins. Can I just say this, and we'll move to our second point here. Since when has God's grace in our lives ever been about what's ideal? 
God's grace is found in the messy collision between our sin and our struggles and His holy provision in a very oft unorthodox manner. Where have you, where have I forgotten that truth the further we've gotten away from the moment of our salvation? His grace happens in that messy interaction. And sometimes as we go through life further, we just we clean it up too much. And when we do so, we forget, we sanitize away some of the struggles and the challenges that were the very place that God's grace was experienced. All right, go to verse 15. And notice the second remembrance that he challenges these believers with, beginning in verse 15. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it be possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Number two, remember the historical affections of grace. So the historical origins of grace. Number two, the historical affections of grace. Uh, Pastor Nathan and his family are out of town this weekend, well-deserved break for their family. And uh, Miss Katie posted this picture there. I think they were in Mohican when they took this, but this is Titus. And I think it's Micah kind of messing with the camera angle. Can you tell what that is? Basically, I think Miss Katie said, all this hiking has made Titus hungry. And so he's eating, <laughs> eating his brother. And amazing kids, their creativity um, there. Um, I think there is real affection between Titus and the brother he's devouring there in the picture. But here's what's interesting to me about the grace of God. When it's real grace, is it actually enhances our affection, not just for God vertically, but our affection for each other horizontally. When's the last time you have been around a legalist and felt loved on? Legalism and relationship and love and affection for each other, those two things, listen to me, never at least authentically track together. The grace of God, when I know it's the grace of God, is I see a growing, bubbling, vibrant love for those that are around them. And so what Paul does here is he invites them not just into remembering how God had related to them in the past, but also how they, when they were depending upon God's grace, were relating to him. Um, and so he, he reminds them that God's grace unleashed in the human soul and heart doesn't just warm our relationship with him, with God, but it also uh, warms our relationship with those he's placed in our lives. All right, two things under that quickly. Number one, notice he talks about an affectionate appreciation, and he references that in verse 15. They appreciated him. There was an affectionate appreciation for the apostle Paul. When they first heard the gospel, they acknowledged it as a rich blessing. Paul's basically saying, where's that vibe now? You used to view me and my ministry, my message as a blessing to you instead of the blight of your existence. And so he, he reminds them and refreshes their memory about how they used to view the apostle Paul. In fact, he says there at the end of verse 15, it was so deep that you cared so much for me in my struggle, you were willing to take your eye out and give it to me because I needed it. And I think, again, an allusion to Paul's possible thorn in the flesh with his eye disease and not being able to even write the scripture that the Holy Spirit inspired and gave to him. But they were that affectionate toward Paul. And Paul's basically saying, where is that now? You're not even willing to talk to me or listen to me as I faithfully minister the gospel. This affection has evaporated. May I say tonight, familiarity breeds contempt whenever we are in the flesh. Whether that's licensed kind of flesh or that's legalistic flesh. But 
familiarity, even with the grace of God, begins to become contemptible where once it held our affection. All right, verse 16, he goes on, Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Number two, an affectionate shift. Now he begins to drill down and to confront them. This affectionate shift. Things have changed. They don't feel about Paul. They don't feel about the gospel and the grace of God like they once did. Now, may I ask you this, and you know this is a rhetorical question, but who has changed in the relationship between the Galatians and Paul, the Galatians and God? God hasn't changed, right? He never changes. Paul's saying here, I'm preaching the same message. Why is it you feel differently toward me now? And so the fickleness of our hearts, the fickleness of our emotions often moves us away from the grace of God. This, this shift in our affections. In first Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15, Paul says to that church, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, that the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And unfortunately, many times those who hold to the grace of God experience that shift in affection. Um, just maybe a question for us tonight, a thought. If there are people in positions that were a loving part of your spiritually formative years that you now feel differently about, something is off. And likely it's not off with them, but it's your personal relationship with God's grace that has shifted. How do you feel about those God's used in your life? They're not perfect. They're not, they're not infallible. But how do you speak about those who have been a part of your years and your walk with the Lord and those steps you've made, though maybe they didn't lead perfectly? Um, our, our view of that often is colored by our primary view of God's grace. There's kind of a, a lot of these sayings you see like in craft stores on little signs and stuff. I just, I'm cynical. I have to be honest with you on many of them. These little pithy thoughts. Um, one that I hear bantered around a lot is this. People will forget what you've said. People will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel, okay? I, that's, that just makes me want to just take it and, you know, the sign and throw it at the wall. What does that mean, okay? I get it, I guess, in one sense. I've forgotten a lot of things people made me feel. But we should never forget how the grace of God has made us feel. Do you remember when you got saved? I mean, you're just, I don't know if you're a crier or you, you know, you just kind of breathe heavy or you pretend you're sweating or I don't know what you do, but some of us are moved a little more emotionally than others. But do you remember that moment when you got free of your sin and the condemnation and you felt the love of God? You felt it, whatever that looks like in your life. We got to go back to that regularly or we will wander from the grace of God because it's intended to, yes, move us mentally, but it is meant to move us on a heart level. God loves us. God wants personal relationship with us. And so may we not wander from grace by forgetting this history we share uh, with our God. Um, and the one I thought of as it relates to this would be David. Remember he says in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. What had David just done? He had sinned, but what had he done, before, what had he done after that? He had pointed the finger at this this man in the parable, you remember that? We just showed the David film a few months ago here. He had been judgmental of someone else. He had lost the joy of his salvation. And he prays here that God would, in Psalm 51, uh, restore that. All right, so number one, grace is meant to be felt as we review our past history. And I encourage you to do that on a regular basis. Go back to the beginning 
and evaluate where you're at in your heart before the Lord. All right, number two, let's spend a few moments now in verses 17 through 20. So now Paul's going to deal with um, these false teachers and some things that need to be brought to light. Verse 17, they, that is the false teachers, zealously affect you, all right? They're moving you. They're causing you to feel things, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. Number two, not only do we need felt to feel the grace of God in the past, number two, we need to feel it in present contrast, all right? Second point tonight, felt in present contrast. So here we find Paul graciously appealing to the Galatians to consider the spirit he has toward them, despite their digressions from the doctrine of God. And he's contrasting his spirit, not with the spirit of the Galatians, but the spirit of the false teachers. Um, and so he, he's using the difference between his, his, his mode of ministry and that of those trying to mislead these believers. All right, two things about that. Number one, compare, when we're comparing those trying to teach us or lead us or mislead us, compare the, com- the contrasting passions of grace. Compare the contrasting passions of grace. Um, And let's talk about two of them that Paul references here that should help us identify a faithful teacher versus one that's trying to uh, mislead us. First of all, notice that he identifies in these who are trying to mislead in verse 17, manipulative passion. So they're zealous, but they're manipulative uh, with that passion. Um, I don't know if, if this is a dynamic in your homes or not. Maybe you guys are super spiritual, unlike our family, at least because of the guy leading our home. Since my wife's not in the nursery tonight, I need to make that caveat. Um, but family, you know each other's buttons, right, to push? And I mean, not just you push it, you hold it, all right, and then just smirk at them, okay, or pretend you're not doing it. And then out of the corner of your eye, you're watching as they just cringe inside. The fingernails on the chalkboard kind of feel that they have. Whatever brings that up in your husband or your wife or your kid um, for my wife, as you learned a few weeks ago, snoring, prolong- or snoring, <laughs> yawning, snoring probably, <laughs> snoring probably is an issue as well. Uh, but uh, yawning that leads to snoring, yes, maybe both of the most, both of, both of those. Um, but uh, the other thing that drives her crazy is cracking of knuckles. And my boys are not in here; they're out in youth group. But they they know that, okay. And I will watch them sit on opposite, Heidi's on one couch on one side of the living room, and I'll just watch Ian just like start bending the finger, and he's like looking out of the corner of his eye, just waiting. And Heidi, I'm not, I've been sitting next to her. It makes her like, like jerk. Like she literally, it drives her crazy. Um, and uh, you've probably heard this as well. Marriage lets you annoy one special person for the rest of your life. That's, that's just, you know, we know that of each other. Um, manipulation. Um, Here in this text in verse 17, notice that Paul brings to light the motives of these false teachers that are different than the motives of Paul that he'll talk about in just a moment. What do they want? They want to affect you so that you might affect them. The idea is affect. It's a parallel. The word there, the same is our affections. That they, they pose that they feel for these people and they draw them into relationship and fellowship so that those followers will feel strongly for them. They're manipulating their emotions. And here's what I have found to be true. If I'm not grounded in the grace of God, I am very vulnerable to having my emotions manipulated by someone who knows how to work them. And if we don't feel strongly about the grace of God, our hearts will be brought out of focus. We'll be wandering in some way emotionally. 
Only the grace of God keeps our affections grounded enough to see the heresy and to see through the motives and to not be drawn into uh, wherever they're trying to mislead us. And so Paul confronts these leaders, though they are zealous, they are zealous only for their own selfish agenda. Um, These false teachers were zealous in their efforts to win the affections of the Galatians, but their motives were not sincere. They were trying to cut off there in verse 17 where he says they would exclude you. What they were trying to do is is isolate, get them away from the Apostle Paul, get them away from the grace of God so they could control them and they could direct them and, and, and then impose upon them their will and their agenda. Um, it's interesting here because it almost, in verse 17, seems that just as they're trying to get the Galatians to feel their way forward instead of build upon the faith once delivered to the saints, they themselves are ruled by their own emotions. This means these leaders emotionally needed to have people who emotionally needed them. Does that make sense? Have you ever been around a leader like that? They need you to feel a certain way about them because they need you to feel that way. It's the only way they themselves feel significance and importance. Um, They need converts and disciples to get excited and wrapped up in them as a leader, obeying them and adoring them. Only this can assure them, can they assure themselves they're a good and great leader. And so they use us if we're not careful to that end. May I just say this as it relates to gospel energized ministry? I'm looking as a pastor, and we'll have missionaries in again this spring and partnerships that we're developing. I'm looking for people. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking for ministries that are fueled by the gospel that don't rest and hinge on any one personality. And here's what I know. A gospel-energized ministry is not built on one person. Legalism and those trying to control and appeal to our affections are moving the exact, the exact opposite way. They want us to need them. Everything's built on them. Um, and so we get free of that by seeing through their manipulative zeal seeing what it, for what it really is, which is just making it all about them. All right, verse 18. But it is good, so Paul adds this caveat, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. I love this aspect of the study tonight. Number two, so the false leaders have manipulative passion. Number two, Paul exhibits transcendent, transcendent passion. Passion that is independent of just him and independent of just his own relationship with these Galatians. Um, a friend of mine today posted this with the time change, especially as pastors. You know, this you know, Sunday is our morning. We get up on time and have our act together, and we especially should on this Sunday of, of all Sundays. And he asked us, he said, am I the only person who quickly checked the oven clock just to be sure my phone fell back last night? Did any of you do that? Like some analog reference? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, and this morning when I walked out of the kitchen, I looked at the microwave clock and the oven clock. It was an hour ahead of my phone. And that just eased my mind, okay? It worked. <laughs> Sometimes technology just doesn't, doesn't work. And so I, I wanted to make sure I had a reference point that was outside of uh, the promises, sometimes overpromising of technology. And Paul here talks about a passion that's independent of just him. Yeah, he had sought the Galatians for Christ. He had done what he could for them, but he welcomed others into their life. He, he wasn't trying to have a corner on the market here. He wasn't trying to control them. The motive was he wanted to see Christ uh, in them. And you see that in verse uh, number 18 that he says, it doesn't have to just be when I'm there. 
It just needs to be faithful to the doctrine of God's grace and God's gospel. Um, And so he encourages them to have zeal, but zeal that is grounded in God's grace. Tonight, leaders that are in sync with and faithful to God's grace are all for zeal. Zeal that is independent of them and zeal that is faithful to the gospel. We ought to get excited about anybody that's excited about the gospel. Um, again, I mentioned it last week, but it was neat to meet Brother Kurt's new friend at the Wayne Township Fire Department. His passion for the gospel was clear, wasn't it? Um, and we ought to, that if we are focused on the grace and the gospel of God, we ought to meet them halfway. We ought to go beyond halfway to partner with them in any way that we can within God's call in our lives. And, and so leaders that are in sync with and faithful to God's grace are all for zeal. But zeal that is independent of them and faithful to the gospel. And I give you one other example of that. Go back to Romans for just a moment, chapter 10, would you? And I just want to show you what zeal should look like and what zeal we should be looking for in those that influence us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. And in contrast to the self aggrandizing zeal of these false teachers, notice the zeal that Paul has. Romans chapter 10, and let's pick up in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire, their zeal, and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Notice this tempering thought. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Isn't that interesting? So there, there, there would be an apt description of the religious person, the legalistic person, The form over heart-level relationship with God. A zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And then here it is in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Isn't that interesting? You see the zeal of Paul for his people, the zeal for the gospel, and then he contrasts that with the zeal that is uninformed, the the zeal that is unsubmitted. Uh, And so may we have the kind of passion that Paul models for us uh, here in the text. Um, This past Monday was October the 31st, and uh, yes, Halloween has been um, ascribed as significant on that day, but on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther approaches the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nails a piece of paper to it containing what now are called the 95 Theses, the revolutionary opinions that would begin the Protestant Reformation, and it's referred to in some circles as Reformation Day. And so that was this past Monday, all these years since 1517. And I was thinking about that when I came across this concept as it relates to legalism. Somebody said this, When Christianity is turned into bondage to rules and regulations, its victims are inevitably in subjection, tied to the apron strings of their teachers as they were in the Middle Ages. And that's what the legalist leaders, listen to me, as well as those teaching the flesh has licensed. They just want to control us. They want to get us tied to their apron strings. No one has that right for the grace-fueled, gospel-liberated believer except Jesus Christ. And so don't go down that path. Look for those who aren't manipulating with zeal and passion. Look for those who possess and point to Christ this transcendent passion. So false teachers will appeal to our passions. 
but passions that are untethered from the doctrines of God's grace and tethered to their own consolidated power. And so the question tonight would be this, where have you allowed your passions to set you up to not only be manipulated by man, but moved away from God's unchanging grace? Don't settle for that, believer, in any nuance. Stick with God, stay with God, stay in His grace on a heart level. All right, let's land tonight, go back to Galatians chapter 4, and let's look at these last couple of verses, beginning in verse 19. And I love, again, how Paul so affectionately approaches them. You see the grace of God at work in him as he tries to lovingly confront them and call them back. Verse 19, so he earlier said in verse 12, brethren, now notice how he addresses them, my little children, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. All right, lastly, number two, compare the contrasting motives of grace. So the contrasting passions, the zeal, he talks about that. Now he wants to talk for just a moment about the motives of grace. How do we know when we're following someone who has grace-fueled motives? Well, there's two little things we see in this closing two verses that Paul models for us that we should be looking for those in those that lead us, starting with your pastor and the teachers in this place and those that you watch online, those that impact you and counsel you. Number one, jot this down, Christ-like motives. You see that in verse 19, he says, what is his motive? I'm travailing like a woman in labor until Christ be formed in you. The motivation of the leader is I want my influence to help you be more like Christ, not more like me, not more like us. I want you to be like him. That's a grace-fueled, grace-guided, grace-motivated believer. And we ought to be asking ourselves, is that the agenda of those that are trying to lead us? Um, Christ-like motives. Uh, the other day, this is just, maybe this doesn't strike you as funny. I think it's hilarious. But a friend of mine yesterday said, uh, this morning he woke up. He said, again this morning, no one, no one was standing next to my bed saying the following. All right? This person was not there again today. Your Royal Highness, here's your coffee. <laughs> and then he had hashtag peasant life. That was his response. He woke up again, disappointed. There was no slave or servant there to serve him his coffee. Isn't it so easy to make life about us? And for those that we place ourselves under, we, we almost tolerate their own self-agenda that, that's just a part of being a leader and human and all that goes with that. A grace-filled leader is always driven by helping us not become more like ourselves or dependent upon ourselves, but to be more like Christ. And so Paul here wanted to see Christ seen in the lives of the Galatians. It wasn't just that they could be free, it's that Christ would be formed in them in a way that could not happen if they would digress into what these that were trying to mislead them, if that was accomplished. A living Christ on the inside will manifest itself on the outside. There, is, there are expressions of faithfulness to Christ. We understand that, but it begins on the inside. As a result of the legalist teaching, the Galatians were beginning to trust in self, their own efforts to obey the law, instead of depending upon the Spirit to produce in them Christ-like life and resemblance to the Savior. Uh, and so we see this challenge given by Paul. And he used the analogy of a mother laboring in the pains of childbirth. As a mother in labor desperately wants her child to get out and to be independently alive, a child grows inside the mother, yes, but the mother uh, suffers to give life to the child so that the life ultimately will live on its own. What a, what a glorious image of a gospel-based, grace-centered ministry. I, I don't want you to need me. I want you to need him. 
and to be like him and to depend upon him. And that ought to be true of anyone who leads us in God's grace. All right, lastly, verse 20. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Lastly, notice there are concerned motives. Christ-like motives, number two, concerned motives. Paul is driven by concern. There's no other agenda than he is concerned for the well-being of these believers. Um, the words change my voice, I don't know that it's a bit odd how that's worded there, hard to process that in our, our vernacular, but I think likely Paul's saying, I feel it's such a handicap, it's almost like one arm's tied behind my back while I'm trying to communicate with you, trying to just write it down and just communicate in written form. I just wish I could be there and I could give you the tone and the tenor of how I feel for you and the concern that I have for you. And you see him here as he ends this section. He says, I stand in doubt of you. He's not sure how to go forward. He's concerned. He's worried. He yearns for them to come back to the place that God has for them. And so may we be careful as we follow those God puts in our life to look for motives that not only want us to be Christ-like, but they have genuinely concern for us. They care for our soul. They care for our well-being. A key component of identifying faithful and unfaithful spiritual leaders is to ask, why are they trying to influence me? I think I've said that at least once before in this series. You've got to ask that question. Why am I here tonight? Why are others that you give permission to teach you? Why are we doing what we're doing? And if the motives have not been examined, we probably will be misled on a regular basis. We need to ask that question, and the answer ought to be Christ-likeness, concern for us. Where are we tonight being played by false teachers at a distance and overlooking the faithful ones that God has placed near us? It's so easy to be influenced, isn't it, by YouTube influencers? It's amazing how many kids, that's their goal in life. What do you want to be when you grow up? A YouTube influencer. Um, and, and it's easy to impress at a distance, but we have to be close to people to be influenced by them. And so scrutinizing, examining those we place ourselves under is a regular habit of the grace-fueled believer. And tonight with this illustration of, I think, how God's grace, we ought to feel about it. You remember the, the collapse of the towers in Florida, partial collapse of some condos back in uh, June of last year. This has been June 24th, if I got the, the details right. June 24th of 2021 at approximately 1.22 a.m. So this would be middle of the night. And there was a 12-story beachfront condominium there in Miami, uh, Surfside, Florida, U.S., um, that partially collapsed, causing the death of 98 people. Um, and there was a story of a lady that was in, sleeping in that building on that given night, June 24th of last year, at 1.22 a.m. And uh, her name is Ilana, uh, Ileana. Um, she was an older lady, and she says that if she had not felt certain things that night, she would not be alive today. And there just recently was an interview with her. She said she went to bed about uh, 1 a.m., so she had just fallen asleep. Um, and she was awoken just a few minutes later by a rare force. That's how she described it. Believing the feeling came from an open balcony door, she went to her living room uh, to try to close that patio door. But then behind her, she saw a crack coming down from the ceiling, quickly snaking down the wall. Can you imagine this? An opening, opening faster than she could believe. Something inside of me, she said, told me to run. You have to run to save your life. 
Um, in moments, she put on, her, on the first clothes she could find, grabbed her phone, her purse, blew out the candle. I find that hilarious. She took the time to do that. <laughs> Don't think the candle continued to burn is your major concern, and ran out of her apartment. She said she, said she had to wake up early the next day, the next morning, um, and so she had not taken her sleeping pill because she was afraid she was going to oversleep. If it wasn't for that open door, if it wasn't for that wind, if she, if she had not seen the crack, she would not be here telling the story. Can I tell you, at some point, all of us felt something. And that's the only reason we have the grace of God tonight. And yet the tendency as we go through life is we start over-intellectualizing it and academically viewing it. There ought to always be a feeling that we have about our Savior and His grace and His gospel that no sophisticated teacher or some new leader moves us away from this gospel that caused us to feel. When I got saved, I felt, I felt convicted, and I felt loved, and I felt free, and I could go on. I felt, I felt, I felt. Don't ever lose the feelings that the, the grace of God is intended to produce in us and sustain in us to protect us from wandering into false teaching. Don't allow superficial, carnally-oriented feelings to move you away from the authentic, faithful sensations generated and sustained only by the grace of God. Don't let anything, don't let anything move you from that. So here's the question, and we'll pray. Will you choose to live in grace plus nothing by appreciating fully the feelings that only God's grace can produce about our past history and about the present contrast between faithful teaching and false teaching? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word.